summer series and um, Reflecting on the fact that we've got a building project next door, if this is your first time, we're not normally in here, um, but everything's going on next door. Um, but actually, it's really exciting to read Acts because this sort of feels like the upper room. Um, it's kind of raining outside, it feels like a storm, um, and we're reading Acts over the summer, and we're learning about the early church and the way that the gospel of the Lord just spread and spread um, throughout the Roman Empire and, and way beyond. Um, just to recap, we are, um, if you were here for the Acts 2 session, we um, read that the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. They're transformed by that. Peter said later to the Jewish ruling council that we cannot help but speak about what we've seen and heard. This gospel that we're reading is not a gospel that will be contained by opposition. It will spread in spite of our own inadequacies. And this is why it's so encouraging today to read that it's fundamentally God's mission, not our own. We're part of it, but it's God's mission. And that's the message of today's passage. We're invited to participate. So when things get difficult, as we'll read later, we can be confident that God is still at work. Um, Just before we look at the passage, I want you to think back to when you learnt to drive Um, or maybe you're learning right now. Um, I probably won't forget when I learned to drive because it took me three years and four four driving instructors to learn. (laughs) But I quite enjoy driving now. Um, I hope the other road users do as well. Yeah, it's a humbling experience, I think, for everyone to learn to drive. Often quite tense, sometimes too much. I remember on my first instructor pulling over and getting out of the car um, on a country lane and asking him to drive me home. It was just too much. Um, On my third round of driving instructors, we'd hit it off. He uh, was an experienced and um, caring instructor and drove a very nice car, which heightened the stakes but made it quite fun. (laughs) Anyway, when you're learning, you have the keys, you have the steering wheel, you've got the pedal in front of you, pedals in front of you, Um, you're in the driving seat, it's your job uh, to drive, you have the mission. You need to drive forwards, make a turn, reverse around a corner but you're entrusted to do the driving. But crucially, and thankfully, the instructor is next to you. They have the pedals. They can reach across and hold the steering wheel. They can look in the mirrors, and if you'll listen, they'll direct you. You are entrusted, but the instructor is with you. And I wonder, when I was thinking about this, whether this resonates with the acts that we're reading today. The apostles are entrusted to drive the car, to spread the gospel to nations, to make disciples of all people. But crucially, the Holy Spirit, the instructor, is with them the whole time. They're never alone. They're constantly guided, supported, prompted, even challenged by Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. This is God's work. We're entrusted to do the work, but we're never alone in that. The Spirit of the Lord who raised Jesus from the dead is alive in us. So, we come to Acts um, chapter 13, starting at verse 13. It's on page 1045. There are some Bibles in the stacks, and we're going to be running through the passage, so it's worth having one. Um, Just while you're finding it, our two characters today um, are Paul and Barnabas. 
um, who are, have been set apart by the Spirit for the work to which they have been called. Paul um, is a man who once persecuted Christians and is now transformed after meeting the Lord Jesus Christ. Barnabas, um, his name literally means son of encouragement. Um, maybe if you are having a dinner with all of them, Paul, you'd have to sit quite carefully next to people so he doesn't maybe offend, but he's also encouraging. But Barnabas is kind of like the party man in this, I think. He's the encourager. So, different characters, different stories on the same mission for God. Starting at verse 13. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the Law and the Prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, People of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our ancestors. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. For about 40 years, he endured their conduct in the wilderness. And he overthrew seven nations in Canaan, giving their land to his people as their inheritance. All of this took around 450 years. After this, Paul gave them judges until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled for 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. We'll come back to the passage later. If um, you can imagine the scene there in the synagogue, this is a very, very normal thing for the people of the day, the Jews of the day. Paul starts with a history lesson. He traces the familiar story of the Old Testament And this is really important because it is the listener's heritage. Paul is setting the frame. He's setting the narrative, almost the reason that his people who are in the synagogue should be listening. He starts in verse 17 with Moses in Egypt. He references the judges, the time of Samuel, the prophet. He talks of King Saul and later King David. And in basically name-dropping, these heroes of old, Paul is warming his audience with history that they already know. And it's quite an interesting frame because the rulers ask for some encouragement. And Paul begins with something so very familiar to most of them. You can almost hear them saying, yes, but we ask for encouragement. I know all of this. But then verse 23. Paul is doing much more than just giving a familiar story. He's also reminding them, calling to mind, literally, in this history and trajectory of faith that God didn't let go. If you dive into all of those references, you'd find that it is, as well as a history lesson, a reminder of God's faithfulness, his redeeming love, his relentless pursuit of his people. But then, verse 23, Paul tells the climax of this redemption, Jesus Christ. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the saviour Jesus as he has promised. 
The net is brought right in. It's cast, well, it's not brought in, it's cast right out, but people are brought into the story. Through Jesus Christ, everyone is part of the story. I wonder for us to hear a history lesson of our own lives, the way that God's been faithful, whether we've known it or not. It's almost like Paul is saying, this is why you should listen. This is God's story. With all his promises fulfilled in Jesus, you and I are part of it too. And as Paul and Barnabas knew, this actually removes some of the pressure of sharing faith. By knowing that this is God's mission and that Jesus has made new our communion with the Father, we can feel more free to step out of our comfort zone. We think of uh, Connors in New York at the moment, uh, Lydia and Laura in Uganda. Um, you're in your office, you're on your commute. Uh, we're all sort of in the mission field. And suddenly, this, um, the fact that Jesus died for our sins and through him we have communion with the Father gives us this utter freedom to step out of our comfort zone. But look at verse 45. And yet, it was not plain sailing. Some heard the message to continue in the grace of God. Others refused to hear it. Verse 45. When they saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. And verse 50. But the Jews incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. The gospel message, the truth of what has been said, the audacity that we have a God who loves us, and not only that, but chases after us and transforms our lives and the lives of everyone who has ever and will ever live, is divisive. It's controversial. It paves a new Christ-shaped way. And for some Jews listening, it was too unsettling too audacious, too compromising to the way that they had already lived, and so they persecuted. In other words, the gospel caused division, and it still does today. They tried to get rid of Paul and Barnabas, thinking that in doing so they'd get rid of the message that they proclaimed. But they didn't grasp the fact that the message was wider than just these two messengers. It's great encouragement to read in verse 49 that the word of the Lord continued to spread throughout the whole region. We know that there'll be opposition, but I wonder how that actually resonates with us. How does mentioning Jesus or church or faith or where we've been on a Sunday turn our own conversations upside down? How does it sit in the office if you suggest a different way? Or when you reveal to others in a group or in the gym that you believe in Jesus Christ? Further afield, we know that some of our brothers and sisters are standing and living and dying for Christ around the world. But it's so encouraging, even in that, to know that God is with us and that it is his mission. It's refreshing in this to read how Paul and Barnabas in verse 41 reacted. Verse, uh, sorry, 51. So they shook the dust off their feet and went to Iconium. 
And there's a real uh, sort of human freedom in this. They literally shake the dust from their feet. There's a lightness. It doesn't negate the pain or persecution of division. It doesn't mean that God doesn't see that or feel it or care. But it does carry a freedom with it. Paul and Barnabas, in speaking about the risen Lord, are participating in the work of the Lord that they have been called to do. And in the power of the Spirit, they persevere. And so can we. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in the midst of oppression in Nazi Germany, reminds us also that this is God's mission. Speaking about Christian mission and evangelism, he writes, It is not we who build. No man builds the church, but Christ alone. We must confess, he builds. We must proclaim, he builds. We must pray, he builds. And he goes on to write, what a comfort this is, that Christ is in control. In our passage, what a comfort it is that the word of the Lord spread regardless. What a comfort it is that they were sent out with the Spirit and walked in joy and with the Holy Spirit. Going back to that driving analogy, the instructor never leaves us. We're never on our own. The reality is that the church and our faith and the message of Jesus will provoke. It's probably provoked us at times and still does. But in this passage, we can be confident that the word of the Lord spreads and the kingdom is breaking through. John Stott wrote that behind the word of the Lord is the Lord of the word. In this, we can take heart. And as we reflect on the truth that this is God's mission, I just want to read uh, verse 38 and 39. Because I think this sets it up, it, it removes it from ourselves and it turns it back to God. And as we had uh, communion earlier, we're reminded that this is um, in God's love and it's on God's terms. And he invites us in to participate. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. And this is a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Wherever our mission is, whether in London, whether in the classroom, whether in Sheffield, or around the world, we are part of the body of Christ and we are with the Holy Spirit in it all. Amen. Amen.